All right, would you please remain standing um, for our scripture reading? Um, this week, um, we're going to have Raph Peters preaching for us. He's one of our uh, church planning residents. Um, and our sermon this week will be from Matthew 7, 1 through 6, as we continue our series on the Sermon of the Mount. So hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peace be with you. As I look out, I'm grateful uh, to see a lot of you, many familiar faces. If you don't know who I am, my name is Raph Peters. And uh, like Britt shared, I'm one of the church planning residents, uh, part of Sojourn Houston, and excited to be here with you this morning and to see you and to just share with you, uh, just so you know, my family, we've been here for about a year and a half. And uh, we are grateful for our Sojourn Heights family and the way that you have cared for us. We can honestly say that as we look to this past year, with so many things that have been crazy going on in our lives, we are thankful for this body in particular. And so today is an exciting day for us in the Greater Third Ward, which is where we live. We'll be starting our first parish gathering uh, in the Greater Third Ward. And so, yeah, that is, that's definitely exciting news. And so, we're excited about that and to be present in our neighborhood, to, to be a gospel presence. And from that, what we hope as we're faithful in this residency and faithful with being a parish in our neighborhood, that a church will be planted in that neighborhood. And so exciting stuff happening. And I'm, I'm humbled to be here with you today to share from God's word. So before we get started, if I could, before we really dive into this passage, let me pray over our time if I can. Lord, we're grateful to be with you today, uh, to, to gather as your people, to have the opportunity to hear from you through the reading of your word. Father, will you speak to us? Will you open our eyes to see the beautiful glories of your gospel? And will you soften our hearts to receive that beautiful gospel today? Lord, I thank you for the many ways that you have blessed us and may we experience your grace today. Father, may you be glorified and lifted high and may you speak your word through me today, your vessel. We proclaim all of this and more in Jesus' name, amen. If I could, for the sake of, of clarity and care, I would like to read our passage again, uh, starting at verse one. It says this, judge not that you be not judged. For with the, the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why? 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample on them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I believe it goes without saying that this passage is probably the most misquoted. It's highly misunderstood. It's the source of confusion for many and it's often ripped out of its surrounding context. I've heard it said that if if Christians were to share their favorite verse, it would be John 3.16. And in return, if the world was to share their favorite verse, it would be Matthew 7.1. Looking at this passage, as we tune into today's uh, passage, we see that Jesus is entering the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7. His first two words in this chapter are, judge not. These two words seem to be larger than any other words written prior or following it. It grabs our attention. It demands it. It calls us not to just carelessly read or or take lightly. But the problem seems to be with this passage that we too often read it but do not examine it. We do not look in depth or sit long enough to get to the heart of what it means. Judge not. Many believe that this is not only essential to loving others, but it's the reason to not give sound assessment or rebuke. Others think because judgment should be left to God, then they can be free to do as they please and live with no regard to come, with no regard of judgment to come because they define God's love as fully accepting. I don't know how many of you have heard of Tupac, but he has a song called Only God Can Judge Me. And he talks about living in a certain way and not having in mind God's judgment because, hey, only God can judge me. Nobody else can say anything to me. Therefore, I can do whatever I want because ultimately God is loving. Not only do we hear these things from artists like Tupac, but we also hear things like that from our peers. We hear different spinoffs of this passage like, who am I to judge? No one's perfect, so don't judge others. Don't judge others because they sin differently than you. While these statements are not entirely false, some may not be entirely true, especially as to what Jesus is expounding here in Matthew 7. Jesus is saying what it appears he's communicating. Judge not, take a self-assessment. But he is also saying something that it may not appear he's saying. Make sound judgment, discernment. Therefore, because of this, we must look in more detail to get a full understanding of what may not appear obvious. 
And as we look to this passage and we frame this context, we have to see what Jesus means when he says, judge not. Because throughout the Sermon on the Mount, what we see is Christ makes all of these statements. And then from those statements, he expounds on what he means. And if we are to carefully and, 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 and really expound on what Christ is saying, then what we'll see is that it can only be understood looking at the sermon as a whole and not just taking a verse or, or some words from what Jesus is saying. So let's look at the audience. The audience of who Jesus is speaking to is his disciples as well as the scribes and Pharisees who were present. He uses much of his time to, to rebuke the posture of the Pharisees while sharing to his disciples who were to be set apart how they're to, to live. He teaches that they are to be those who have experienced the blessedness of pursuing God and loving others. He's richly defined to them what this life looks like and how it's characterized. For example, in chapter five, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And I wanna typically look at this, I want this specifically to be something that we look to because I think that it is helpful and important for us to ask as we look at this chapter, what is mercy? Mercy is the act of showing compassion, pity, kindness, forgiveness towards others instead of condemnation, to judge not. In Luke 18, Jesus shares this parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. Verse 10 of this passage says, two men went up into a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, thus God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, standing, or I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What we see in this passage in Luke 18, this parable, is that the, the Pharisee not only boasts of his deeds arrogantly, but blindly condemns and belittles others and this tax collector mentioned. He sets his fate as one irrevocable and without compassion. His posture is proud and without little assessment of the way he's robbed God of glory and the way he's rebelled against God. Yet we see this tax collector in contrast who is fully aware of the holiness and righteousness of God, which is a crazy thing to think that a tax collector could do this. He's fully aware of the holiness and the righteousness of God compared to the reality of his fallen human state. The tax collector declares, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
He chooses not the road of condemnation as the Pharisee did, but one of true assessment. And he leaves justified. He leaves with mercy, mercy that was shown by God, which brings to life Matthew 5 and 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The Pharisee, though, did not receive mercy because he was not merciful. He is actually the reason for Christ's words in Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, Jesus is first condemning those who pronounce final judgment on one another, those who lord themselves over another. And it is this type of judgment, right? To judge as a judge, it's this type of judgment and position that belong to God and God alone. We should see what belongs to God and not us as we read through verse two of chapter seven. For with the judgment you pronounce, it says, you will be judged. Doesn't really have weight if it's judgment by others, but you will be judged by God. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you by God. When we see with proper respect the judgment of God, who God is in comparison to who we are, we are made small. We are humbled. We are made equal to all fallen creation and humanity. And we, we are brought to our knees crying for mercy. Listen, sojourn, if not now, when you're face to face with God, you will be on your knees crying for mercy. And it's this God that pronounces final judgment over us. And if this is true, this is not something that we take lightly. So in regards to what Christ is saying, judge not in chapter seven. We see he's speaking of judging in a way that places final judgment on someone or places someone over another like the Pharisee in this parable. And this we can see clearly. This is not hard for us to discern or understand, but Jesus does not end there. In terms of judging, he, he also talks about how we should judge. And this is not a contradiction for Christ to say, judge not, then have a follow-up exhorting that we should make sound judgments. There is a type of judgment that we are called to not have and that judgment belongs to God, but there are also types of judgments that we are exhorted and commanded to make. And what Jesus does here is he places those in a certain order and priority. What he says first we're called to do is to judge ourselves or to take proper assessment in our lives. As we were going through the worship today, obviously we have a liturgy here at Sojourn and we have a time of confession of sin. And I believe that this is what Christ is calling to us daily. Not just as we gather together as God's people, but every day as we look at our lives. So verses three through five says this, why, 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your eye? You're a hypocrite. First take that massive log out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We must judge ourselves rightly like the tax collector in Luke 18 who is aware of his sin and the presence of a completely holy and righteous God. He is so aware that he beats his breast in sorrow and contrition over his sin. And in this assessment, in this assessment that we see, that we're called to, what we should know is that we're not left alone in trying to expose the sin in our lives. If this is something that we are blind to, we need the Spirit of God to expose and reveal the sin that we live in. And God in His goodness has given us His Spirit. In his word in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul says to the church of the Thessalonians, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can be confident that God has come to help. He's come through his spirit. The Spirit of God helps us in assessing our hearts, exposing our sin, convicting us of that sin, and empowering us to remove any logs or specks that we have. Not may have, but that we have, because they're present. And Jesus makes clear here that's what, what, what's of more concern and what's more important is an awareness of your own sin and your own heart, and it may be blinding you. He says, you actually may think that this is a small speck. You actually may think that your sin is irrelevant. You actually may feel as if your sin is not worthy to be compared to the sins of others, but in reality, your sin is deserving of attention. And it is not a speck. It's actually larger than that. And the fate of your soul determines on you exposing. And in fact, not only is there sin that's keeping you, but it's also keeping you from helping others. You can't serve your brother well or love your brother well if you haven't dealt with the sin in your own heart. And I've got a note in saying that so many times we read this passage and we believe that Jesus is not calling us to serve our brothers and sisters and to help them to see sin. But he doesn't say this. He doesn't say that we shouldn't call to attention the sins of our brother. He doesn't say that we shouldn't give sound judgments or assessments or discernment. But what comes first is that we deal with ourselves so that in humility in sympathy, in sobering judgment, we can call our brothers and sisters to turn to Jesus where they have turned away from him. Not overly critical or always needing to criticize, but sound and led by the spirit full of grace and truth. 
if I haven't said this, this, this passage ultimately is showing us first how to love God and then how to love others. You cannot love God without a proper view of him. And in your proper view of him, you see where you stand. And you cannot love others without those. So we see that Christ has commanded that we not make final judgments over others, but that we take proper assessment of ourselves. Then we will be able to healthy, healthily and, and helpfully help others see their sin and to help them turn to Jesus, which in turn will also help us in discerning and protecting the glorious gospel and the truth that we hold. He calls us in verse 6 to have discernment. He calls us in verse 6 to protect this glorious gospel, this treasure that we have. He says, do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. He says, dogs and pigs. So if we feel as if this passage is calling us to judge not, we would be wrong because how can you determine dogs and pigs without a, a, a sound judgment or a proper judgment? These dogs and pigs, they present a problem here for the believing community. Obviously, we could associate why, why pigs would be a problem and why Jesus would use these, but, but why dogs? In context here, dogs are not man's best friend. They're scavengers. They're wild. They're dirty like pigs. They're despised by, by the community and they're related to Gentiles or those who are not God's covenant people. And they do not value and they destroy what should be of most value to God's covenant people. And the emphasis that Christ is making here is not necessarily on the dogs and pigs, but our response to them. If you are God's people, then discern and guard and protect the treasure that you have. Place trust and faith in God and not the world. Don't place trust in the world. Don't identify with those who are not God. You are a city on a hill of people who are set apart. Don't give that up. Be discerning, make sound judgments. I think it also be said that as we share this beautiful hope that we have, trust the Lord. I think this passage is also calling us to trust the spirit of God with the hearts of man. It is not your job to save people, but to call them to see the beautiful glory of the gospel, Jesus. And it is the spirit that does the work in man to help transform them, to help them lead them to belief and faith in Christ. Trust God, not your own methods or ability to communicate. I think it's well for us as we conclude that we ask ourselves the way that we failed to obey what Jesus commands here in Matthew 7. We would do well to practice this self-assessment that Christ is calling us to. How have we been like the Pharisee? How, how have you been like 
the Pharisee. How have we made final judgments on others based on things they've done? I mean, we've got to be honest. We live in a culture, in, in, in a time where people are quick to condemn the sins of the written famous. We're quick to scrutinize and overly criticize those in the public eye. This is not to say that no criticism can be made or that criticism is bad, but unfortunately, so often we found ourselves seeing people as unredeemable and without hope or restoration. We mark people as canceled and unable to find even a hint of grace and compassion. We lack love for God and for others. We lack this view of God that he will establish justice in the end. So we must enable justice over others. We become the judge and the jury in this life. And we do not often see our own sin that's keeping us from loving God and loving others. Let us be quick to ask ourselves as well, have we been slow to see ourselves in proper regard? Have you failed to make proper assessments or lacking to assess the state of your own heart? Has your confession of sin only been at the Sunday gathering? Are you quick to help others see their sin without seeing that you need help? Are you marked by humility? I'm afraid all too often the body of Christ, especially those that are bent a certain way, too often we're proud. Too often we feel as if we have all of the right answers and ways of communicating the gospel that even to our own brothers and sisters, we come off proud and arrogant and not humble. Are you marked by humility? Are you merciful in how you see others because of what is exposed in your own life? Do you trust the Lord and the work of the Spirit in your life and others? As we take assessment of these things and we see the depravity that it reveals, may it fix our gaze on Jesus. The other beautiful thing that I love about our liturgy is that there is an assurance of pardon. That we can look and be assured in the work of Christ to save us from our sin. To know that, that God the Father, if we can talk about the Trinity, sent his son. And his son living a life that, that we couldn't live taking on the condemnation and the judgment that we deserved, died a death that we all deserved. But he didn't stay there. Rose from the grave and in return has given us a helper so that we can see our sin, the spirit of God. And now we live in, in awaiting the return of the son. The beauty of the gospel is that Christ first came not to condemn the world, but to save. 
But for us as believers who have believed in Christ Jesus, the confidence that we have in God's justice being established, the thing that we look to, the thing that we hope for and await is that Christ is coming again. Not as a savior, but as a judge. And that should fill us with awe. Whether you're in here today and you're a believer in Christ or an unbeliever, that should fill you with awe. And that should lead you to Christ. That should lead you to repent, believer and unbeliever, and to turn to Jesus. That should lead you to press into community, into the neighborhood parish, humbly confessing sin and humbly with sound and sober judgment, helping others to see their sin. The kingdom is inside out and we cannot serve God or love others well if we're not exposed to what's in our hearts. So it is my prayer that we look to the God who has placed us in community, who has placed us where we are, who has been faithful to surround us and to connect us with the people that we have in our lives. It is my prayer that we trust this God to not only do a work in us, but also to use the members of his body to keep us from being stagnant. The beauty today is if you're convicted and if you see a disparity in your life, there is a God who richly supplies everything that you are without. And God has presented himself and we can confidently believe that because of this word. So turn from sin. And may he apply you with the faith through the spirit you need to be saved and sustained. So sojourn. May we be sober-minded and watchful. May we stand firm in the faith. For our King Jesus is coming and will establish justice. Let's pray. Father, I can be confident in you because your word does not come void. Because your word is enough for us. Because it is good for teaching. It's good for approach. It's good for rebuke. It's good. It's good. Your word is good. May we see that you are good through your word. May you lead us, Father, to yourself. And as we approach your throne, may you expose our sin. May we be led in humility. May we repent and turn to you. And may we press into the common grace that you've given us. Father, this is a hard word because it is easy for me to first point out the sins of others before pointing to the sin that I have. But Father, may you grace us. May you help us to see ourselves. May you help us to make proper assessment. And may you help us, God, to also help others as you have helped us. May we see the priority and the order in these things in which you have commanded. May you help us not to be passive, but to be active.
and how we deal with our sin and how we approach others with theirs. There is an assurance of pardon for those who confess sin. There is hope to be received to those who may feel hopeless. This is the beauty. Father, in this passage, we see that you love us. And we see that you have called us in your love to love others. May that be our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.